is really a study in the early church. It's the study of the beginning, the very beginnings of the early church. And we've seen in our study of the book of Acts, we've seen uh, Jesus just before he ascended into heaven uh, saying his last words to his disciples. And we've seen uh, the Holy Spirit coming down and filling the disciples uh, at Pentecost. We've uh, seen the church's um, beginnings being sort of well-received by the people in Jerusalem, but ultimately uh, being re the church being rejected and persecuted uh, once people started to understand what the church was all about. And uh, we've seen how God even used that persecution to spread the good news of Jesus Christ around uh, what we now know as the Middle East. And part of that was that God was moving his church into Gentile areas. And just to remember that Gentiles are just non-Jewish people. So into areas of uh, non-Jews. And there were people that were Gentiles who were coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so today, um, I would consider very much that what we're going to read about is a defining moment in the church life of the church. So I invite you to turn to Acts 15. If you're having a hard time finding it, it's on 1072. 1072 in your Bible. And I'm going to read uh, Acts 15, 1 to 21. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. Now Judea is where Jerusalem is to Antioch, which is actually north, um, where uh, Syria is, uh, Lebanon is. And uh, we're teaching the believers. This is what they were teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So there's this big issue. Do new believers who are Gentiles have to be circumcised? The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now remember the Pharisees, you, you remember the song about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Uh, the Pharisees were legalists. They were um, uh, uh, people that were uh, committed to uh, following the very... Uh, every detail of the law of Moses. And so some of them became Christians, but they didn't lose that. <laughs> and they're probably still hanging out with the Pharisees. And so they were very much tied to the law of Moses and uh, dotting your I's and crossing your T's and making sure that you did everything according to the law. So these guys came to uh, 
um, Antioch into a Gentile church and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should... Write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. What is a defining moment? A defining moment is when um, something happens in our life that changes our life forever. Um, I've shared my defining moment with you folks before, but basically it was, I was very much like a Pharisee. I was a legalist, and I thought that I had to be perfect in order to please God. And God, in his uh, great grace, uh, broke me of that. And it was that day that I found out that God loved me, and that it was by his grace that I was saved, not by doing a whole bunch of righteous things that uh, I um, came into um, just an intimate relationship with God, and that's made all the difference for me. That's, that's my defining moment. And so this is a defining moment in the life of the church, this whole issue that they've been discussing. And I want to say, actually, it's, it's more than just the defining moment in the, in the life of the church. It's actually a defining moment in the, in the history of the world. Now, that's saying a lot because a lot of people in the world wouldn't even know about this happening. But if, 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 if you've got to understand that to this point, Christianity was a Jewish phenomenon, right? Uh, Jesus was a Jew. He grew up in a, Jesus, in a Jewish home. His parents were good Jews. And uh, they, they followed the law of Moses, and they were very um, earnest in being good Jews and following the Hebrew or the Jewish faith. Um, they lived in a Jewish town. They lived in the Jewish homeland. Uh, they um, uh, were very devout. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. <laughs> he was the one that the prophets had prophesied about. And so um, until 
this event that we're talking about, the Christian experience was really linked and meshed with the Jewish experience. Right? And it was this meeting in Jerusalem that really started to show the distinction between the two and help them help help to define what it is to be a Christian and what it is to be a Jew. See if you look at if you look at this this chart here, um, it's from 2015 and it indicates the, the different percentages of people who identify with the different religions around the world. And you will notice that Jews are listed separately from Christians. But you got to get back way, and, and you know, like I don't know that anybody here would sort of identify as being Jewish uh, in their faith. You know, you follow Judaism. We, we see ourselves as Christians. But back then, it, <laughs> these guys grew up Jews, okay? And now there's starting to appear a distinction. And it all can be traced back to this defining moment, um, which, we, which we call the Council at Jerusalem. The issue that precipitated this division and this defining is the issue of circumcision. Um, I won't get into the details of what that is, assuming we all know. It'd be kind of weird if I did. Um, but I want us to understand that it was circumcision that was uh, the issue that caused this definition. And in order to understand circumcision and its importance in Judaism, we have to look back to another defining moment. And so now you need to get your Bibles out again and turn to Genesis 17. As you're doing that, let me just give you some, some context uh, in regards to where we are in the Bible. You'll notice that it's on page like 14 <laughs> in this book that has like, you know, thousands of pages, okay? Um, so we're right near the beginning of the history of the world. Adam and Eve have uh, been created and have fallen from, uh, from grace in the sense that they, they rebelled against God. We've had the story of the flood and, and, uh, and Noah. Uh, we, we've had the story of Babel, where people were split up uh, because they were trying to create this tower. They were trying to become like God or to reach to God. And God spread them all over the world. And the, and the first real intimate story, the real um, precise narrative that we, we start to get is in Genesis 17, or actually earlier, Genesis 12, where God breaks through time and starts to interact with a man called Abram, right? We know him as Abraham, so I'll call him Abraham, all right? And um, God starts to speak to Abraham, and it's going to be that God shows his hand to Abraham, basically. And we've, we've seen the consequences of sin. Adam and Eve sinned, right? 
the world was sinful, so much so that um, every, it says in Genesis that every thought uh, that they had was sinful, and therefore God sent the flood and destroyed humanity except for Noah and his, and his clan. All right? Um, we see sin in, in, in this idea of people coming together and trying to erect an edifice at Babel, a tower, the Tower of Babel, and they're trying to become like God or to ascend to God, and God disperses them and give it, giving them different, different languages. So, so, so we have seen um, the effects of sin, and God now speaks into history, and he's, he's, he's going to use a man, Abraham, to start to change the course of the world. And he says to Abraham, I'm, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Now, you know, that's got to start with a baby, right? Just one baby, all right? And then that's going to become a family, and then there's going to be um, uh, communities, and then eventually there's going to be a nation, and we know that that nation was Israel. Right? So from Abraham, we have his family growing, and then we find that there's the nation of Israel. And what was special about Israel was that it was to be a nation that represented God to a sinful world. It was supposed to be a light. It was supposed to be uh, a guide, a beacon for, for the entire world. And it was all going to start with Abraham. And so this is um, very early on in the interactions between God and Abraham, Genesis 17. I'm going to read 14 verses here, so let's just take a look. When Abram, remember that's Abraham, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you. So that's what, he's going, that's what God is going to do. He's going to make you into a great nation. He's going to give you the land of Canaan, and it's an everlasting covenant. As for you, this is what you must do. You must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or, brought, or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they will be circumcised. My covenant is your flat, in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male 
who has not been circumcised in the flesh, will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So, that is the importance of circumcision. It actually meant that you were either in or out of the covenant community. We knew as we know as Israel. All right? And it wasn't just by birth. All right? You, 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 were, you were born a Jew, but at eight days into your life, you were circumcised and you were part of the covenant community. What if you were a foreigner, a slave? You were brought into the covenant community by being circumcised. So it wasn't just eight-year-old babies that were circumcised. It was people that were brought in. Abraham was 99 years old, and he was circumcised. Okay, so it, circumcision was the sign of inclusion in the covenant community of God. That's what circumcision was. Now you're saying, well, what about women? Well, back in the day, way back in the day, women were under men in the sense that they were associated with men. So if a man, the husband was circumcised, the woman was considered part of that community as well. Okay? Now we look at that and say, well, that's old-fashioned. Old that never fly today. Okay, the women. <laughs> but I'm just saying, that's the way it was back in the day. And women were covered. So women were not circumcised. Men were circumcised. Okay? So, God is very clear. Inclusion in his covenant community required circumcision. If you weren't circumcised, you were not part of the covenant community. Now, we need to fast forward to the early church. The first verses that we read in Acts. Acts 15.1 The Jerusalem church was made up of Jews who had put their faith in Christ and had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of them, not authorized, it wasn't sort of a missionary trip where they, you know, they were appointed. They started to go out into places like Samaria and further beyond that, around the Mediterranean. And they came to this church in Antioch, which happened to be Paul and Barnabas's home church. And they said this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see where they're coming from, though, right? <laughs> because if you want to be part of the covenant community, you have to be circumcised, right? But you see where they're coming from? They're coming out of a Jewish perspective. Their paradigm is all about being a Jew. And if you're going to continue to be um, a part of the covenant community that God has established through Abram, you have to be circumcised. So you can see there's a question that comes up. Are followers of Christ required to become part of the Jewish covenant community, or are they distinct from that community? I love this because this just proves what we've been talking about this morning, that God is in control and he's got it all worked out and he's planning ahead. Um, Peter stands up in the council and he says... 
He says, God has already decided. We don't have to decide. God decided already. And he says this in Acts 15, 7 to 9. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of gospel and believe. Do you remember that? We studied that. That was Cornelius, remember? And Peter, uh, and remember that whole weird dream he had about the, the sheet coming down out of heaven and it had clean and unclean animals on it and Peter was told to eat it and he said, ah, oh, don't do that. You know, I'm a good Jewish boy. And, uh, right, and, and then he was told, I'm going to... He was told to go and, and tell Cornelius, who was a Gentile, to go into his house, which was a taboo, go into his house and uh, tell him about Jesus Christ. Okay, so Peter's saying, hey, God's already made this decision. We don't have to make this decision. God's already revealed his will in this. So back to verse 8 here. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. In other words, he's saying, God has accepted the Gentiles not based on circumcision, but based on something else. And what was that something else? It was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that was their inclusion into a what? A new covenant community. Right? There's a new covenant community that has resulted because of what Christ has done and the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in us. And so... Peter is saying, Paul is saying, and we'll see that James also says, if God has accepted them, we know he has because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, why should we burden these people with this thing called circumcision? Or, in other words, if, if they're obviously already part of God's covenant community, why would we make them do something to become part of God's covenant community? doesn't make sense. And so we can see a distinction between two very different covenant communities. A covenant community made of constituents whose inclusion is based on a physical act. I'm not going to call it that. I don't want to call it circumcision right now because I think we need to start to understand why this applies to you and me today. Okay? A covenant community made of constituents whose inclusion is made up of a physical act. Literally, circumcision. The physical act is what made you in. <laughs> okay? So there's a covenant community made by the physical act, or there's a covenant community made of constituents whose inclusion is based on a spiritual act, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see the difference? One is inclusion in a covenant community known as the church, which is your, your ticket in is infilling of the Holy Spirit. The other is 
an actual physical operation when you're eight days old and don't know what's going on other than it really hurts, right? Okay? And that is your in, okay? So, as the early church just continued to expand and mature in its understanding of God's big plan, it began to understand that God's plan was progressive in that, yes, circumcision was God-ordained, but it was not a was not a covenant that lasted for eternity. And we start to see them figuring out that there is a change that has come because of Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Paul is the guy who mastered this understanding. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he, he, he describes this growing awareness of, 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 of the difference between the old covenant and a new covenant. He, he called it a, a, that, that a mystery has been revealed. And he explains how circumcision was always intended to be an outward act that in, indicated an inner reality. You know how when we, we get baptized, the pastor usually says that. There's nothing magical that's happening right now when I dunk this person into the water. There's no sort of like a physical sort of thing that goes a chemical transaction and they come up different. Basically, all we're doing is we're acknowledging something that happens inside this person's heart, right? A while back, maybe a few days ago, right? And now we're just symbolically showing that through baptism. Well, that's what Paul starts to equate with circumcision. And he says this in Romans 2. You don't have to look it up. It's right here. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And so Paul, who is standing on this side of Christ, post Christ's ascension, and understanding that there's these Gentiles that have been filled with the Holy Spirit and they seem to be accepted by God. He's sort of looking at it and saying, well, how do you resolve that with circumcision and what used to be the ticket in to the community? And then he starts to say, oh, that's because circumcision was always meant to be symbolic of something more important, and that is what's going on in your heart. Right? And so, if you really want to understand what Paul's talking about, go to Hebrews, because I believe he wrote Hebrews. <laughs> and you find there just this incredible explanation of how the Old Covenant and the Old Testament was simply a template for a spiritual reality. And so he talks there about the fact that people in the Old Covenant had to bring physical animals and have them 
sacrifice to make a relationship with God right again. But then he talks about under the new covenant, we're, we are the sacrifices. We are the living sacrifices. We live daily in sacrifice to God because it's a function of the heart. It's all about heart. And so he can say things. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. It's an intention of the heart. So, just so you know that this was always in the works. Because, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of a cynical kind of guy, and, and I, I studied history, and so as a history student, you're kind of like a skeptical kind of person. And you're kind of like, okay, so they're making this stuff up, right? Just because they want it to work, you know? They want to justify what they're doing. So they're making this stuff up, right? So they're, oh, yeah, get rid of circumcision because it's a little messy. And uh, let's go with uh, circumcision of the heart. That sounds good. Right? But no, <laughs> this always was God's intention, right? God's plan of redemption is progressive. It moves from an immaturity to a maturity. It moves from physical to spiritual, right? It is always and always has been his intention. So here's the proof. Jeremiah, prophet, hundreds of years before the Jerusalem council, says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law on their minds, and I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. My people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. So Jeremiah, hundreds of years before the Jerusalem council, is talking, is channeling the words of God, is saying, uh, speaking to Israel and saying, there's going to be a new covenant. And guess what? It's not going to be based on physical realities of, of, of circumcision and physical things that you do by bringing little animals to be slaughtered and brought before God so that the blood would atone for their sins. It's going to be all about the heart. All about the heart. And so we know that this was always God's plan. And so you can see how this is a defining moment, right? We're not going to require people to be circumcised, right? They don't need to be circumcised because what's important to God is what's in their heart, not what's done physically to their body when they're eight days old and they don't know what's going on. However, that's important, right? We don't want to. We don't want to sort of say, "Oh, yeah, well, we just throw the baby out with the bathwater." 
That's just, you know, that was the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant. I don't even want to read the Old Testament and the Old Covenant anymore. It's irrelevant. No, not at all. <laughs> You've you got to understand the Old Covenant to understand the New Covenant. You've got to understand the Old Testament to know the, understand the New Testament. Because it's a progressive plan of God's redemption through the history of the world. So, what I do every week is I figure out why you should care about what I'm talking about right now. Some of you are yawning, some of you are asleep, some of, some of you have already decided it's not relevant, okay? And that's cool, but, but for me, I do, I think about these things, and I say to myself, um, why, why would you care? Like, this is, maybe, maybe it's just you like history, and this is a good history lesson. Well, I, I want to say two things about that. First of all, this is the sort of thing for me that confirms what I believe. It confirms that what God intended from the very beginning of time, he worked out through history, and I can trust this because it's all there. I can say that is related to that, and it's all the same author, and it's all the same wisdom, and it's all consistent. I, and, and to me, that's like, so affirming and so confirming, right? That the old covenant became a new covenant. That circumcision was, was so important and made so much sense. But now circumcision is of the heart, not the physical. Like, for me, it's just so reaffirming. But I know that that, for some people, is a little bit nebulous and a little bit abstract. So why should you care about this? Well, here's a very practical reason why you should care about this. This decision, this defining moment in the church, of the, uh, the history of the church. Some of us still live our lives as though our acceptance by God is based on what we do. We don't go around telling people to be circumcised or getting ourselves circumcised. But we do do other things. And we put a lot of stock in those things as though they are the things that make us included in the covenant community. It could be, you know, I tithe. I'm in. Or I believe in immersion baptism. I'm in. Right? I believe, you know, or I, um, I do good things. I serve. Therefore, I'm in. The Council of Jerusalem says, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> right? It says, physical things, acts, righteous acts, things that we do, are not the things that include us in the covenant community. What includes us in the covenant community? Let's go back to Acts 15. What includes us? Acts 15, verse 11. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved. 
Period. We believe that it is by the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved. In other words, there's nothing we do, it's all what He did on the cross. And if we accept it, we're in. We're in the covenant community. All right? And yet, yeah, we're going to want to please our Lord because we love him and we know that these are the things that he says are good and these are the things that he says are bad. We try to avoid the bad stuff. We try to do the good stuff. Yes, but we know that our inclusion in the covenant community is solely based on what Christ did on the cross for us, not based on anything you do or I do. And it's so tempting for a guy like me who grew up a Pharisee to fall back on that and start to forget that my inclusion is not based on all the good stuff I'm going to do. My inclusion is based on the grace of God and more, almost more importantly, at least the sign of it is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Which I had nothing to do with which is all an act of God. Amen? So, yeah, here it is. The Council of Jerusalem. What is the infilling of the Holy Spirit? The infilling of the Holy Spirit happens when we give our hearts to Christ. So, it is uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I also believe, and I've shared this with the church but prior to you guys coming, yeah. I also believe that there is a filling of the Holy Spirit which is uh, kind of like a top-up. It's kind of like a, uh, uh, from time to time, the Holy Spirit wants to sort of uh, increase his presence with us in a way. Um, and so I believe in that as well. But I believe, and, and uh, most Christians actually now believe, that um, as soon as you uh, accept Jesus Christ, you accept that you are a sinner. You accept that he did what you needed to, to be done in order for you to have, be right with God. You accept that gift, and the Holy Spirit enters you, and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is your seal. That is your guarantee. That is the evidence of your inclusion in the covenant community of God. See, I'm sorry I interrupted. Okay? No, that's good. But I was brought up Catholic. Yes. And so, you know, I need these. Yep, no, totally. Yeah. Okay, and, and, and that's interesting that you would say that because in, in, in the Catholic tradition, there would be the idea that when after you've, uh, when you're not circumcised as an infant, but baptized as an infant, yes. you become part of the covenant community, which you affirm later at age 12 when you're confirmed. Confirmation. Yes. Confirmation. Okay. Right? So, and, and, and so traditions that have uh, traditions that have um, infant baptism almost always have a later confirmation of that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Okay, so that's why we are people of the new covenant and we are part of the new covenant community. All right? But don't Throw the baby out with the bath. Don't, don't abandon the Old Testament. Don't abandon the, you know, you, you need to understand the importance of the Old Covenant. Jesus, you know what Jesus said about that? I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So he wasn't in any way denigrating or diminishing the Old Covenant. He was basically saying, I have come to be the fruition or the fulfillment of See? So 
people that kind of people that kind of separate the two and kind of like they don't want to study the Old Testament, they don't want to know about the Old Covenant, they don't want to know anything about Judaism or anything like that. Okay, they they are they are in error <laughs> because our faith does come out of Judaism. Our history comes. My forefather, if you want, is Abraham. <laughs> okay, like clearly. I'll also tell you another error, and then I'll shut up. Here's another error. People in the New Covenant trying to introduce practices of the Old Covenant. And I'm glad that there are a few people here that aren't here today, because they're tempted by that. They're tempted to reintroduce Old Covenant rituals and practices, which... We've been freed from and have, there's no obligation, but there's a real movement out there right now for some Christians to start, for some reason, trying to get meaning from going back and starting to do Hebrew things, doing righteous acts, so to speak, so that they become ex more acceptable to God. And that's an error too, right? So you got to watch out for that stuff. And there's a lot of that around this community, to be honest. Just so you know. Anyways, I'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the seamless beauty of it. How it, it, it all makes sense. It, as you say uh, through your writer Paul in Ephesians, before the creation of the world, before this earth was created, you had this all planned out. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you chose Abram and that you raised the nation of Israel and that you gave the law because all of that showed us what is important to you and how we should live, but also shows us how inept and incapable we are. <laughs> and so I thank you, Jesus Christ, for coming and doing what we couldn't do. We couldn't fulfill the law. But because of the law, we know that we need a Savior. And you are that Savior, Jesus. Thank you for coming and saving us. We are saved through your grace. We're saved through your great love. Amen. Amen.